Live from our man caves in Virginia Beach, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, Blem. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 19 of MLS Gone Wild. This is your host, Blem. And this is Mike D, and I just want to say to all the listeners out there, all my bias has paid off because the Columbus crew are MLS champions. Whew, I can't believe it, man. What a crazy year. I can't believe the Columbus crew won the 2020 MLS Cup, and I was there for it. But we'll talk more about that later. On this week's episode of MLS Gone Wild, we are joined by Columbus crew play-by-play broadcast announcer, Neil Sika. Neil, welcome to MLS Gone Wild. Fellas, let's get wild. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Of course, man. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. You know, the offseason comes up pretty quick and uh, shifting gears to other sports, but what a weekend and what a season and what a playoff run. I can see the smiles on both your faces. It's, uh, it brings a lot of happiness to a lot of people, and it damn right should after the last couple of years. Yeah, I didn't do anything all of 2020, and if I could do one thing, going to the MLS Cup, that was wild. But you talked about other sports. You went from an emotional high to a low. I saw that you were at the Cleveland Browns game on Monday night when they played the Ravens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was crazy. Cody Parkey, what did you think of his, what, he had a missed field goal and a missed extra point? All right, I got caught up in the sweet life, so I missed the opening field goal and then actually missed the extra point, but that's four points right there. But for the Browns and their ascent and how good they've actually been this year, and I think – it's not smoke and mirrors anymore. I think they really do have a good coach behind them and a good base. Uh, in a game like that, though, there, you can see where the, the defense needs to improve still because Lamar ran right over them. And when McSorley converted that third and long, that was pretty much the game. They get the punt back there. They, they run it out. But, yeah, it was a neat experience, a neat 72 hours. It was just by coincidence that I happened to be up there. I had planned to go for a little while there. Um, and the team happened to, of course, win and then get honored at the first time out. So it was great to see. And we were right down a few suites away from them. So to catch up with Josh Williams and Jossie and, and Jonathan Mensa, who I saw a little bit too on Sunday with the, the virtual ceremony. It was great. It, not a lot of sleep, but it's well worth it. <laughs> Long time. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm sure you're tired. But before we begin ranting about why the Columbus crew are the greatest soccer team the world has ever seen, we want to ask a couple questions about your broadcasting career. You've been calling Columbus crew games for the past 14 years. Two seasons into your broadcasting, the Columbus crew won the MLS Cup. In 2018, an unprecedented fan-led movement kept the black and gold in Columbus following Anthony Precourt threatening to move the team to Austin, Texas. Now, the Columbus crew are MLS Cup champions once again. You have been with this club through the highs and lows. How important has it been to you personally to be the voice of the Columbus crew over the last 14 years? Wow, that's, that's a lot there in one sentence. I think just to have any job in the broadcast world, especially at a high level and in the majors, whatever the sports. And for me, growing up in Cleveland, as we were just waxing poetic about the Browns, being a football, a basketball, a baseball kid, I didn't never envisioned that soccer would be in my broadcast future. And I knew I wanted to be involved in calling games. And from a young age, when I was running around in the backyard talking to myself, and that kind of continued on at Ohio State with student radio. But 
the opportunity came in 2004 to, to fill in and do some soccer on the radio. Uh, Dwight was Dwight Burgess, as, as many crew fans uh, know, is the original voice of the club, and he'll always be the voice of the club to me, uh, was switching over to television. And I got a crack at, at doing some radio and filled in the first couple of years. And I said, you know, why not? You got to take risks. You have to be able to maybe recognize where things are going to grow. And of course, we all see what MLS and the domestic league is doing here in the States and how far it's come in the last 25 years. So it, it was a chance to really take on something new. Hockey was out of my comfort zone too in college. And those are the two sports that have made most of the bread uh, for the last 19 years, which is kind of crazy to think. But as far as the stewardship of, of handling that broadcast role, um, you know, it's been great to be a part of, and you want to do your best work whenever you're putting yourself out there and delivering the goods to, to such a great fan base. And more importantly, having fun with it, you know, that's, <laughs> we're having fun right there with someone intruding uh, coming in the background. But I, I think that, uh, there's been so many fantastic memories that have come with the territory of not only getting to do the work and smile every day when you have that opportunity, because uh, that's what it should be about, having fun and enjoying um, the, the product in front of you. And, and it's been great to say that it's been a great product, regardless of ownership changes, coaching changes, uh, the people make the difference. And that's, that's life, good relationships. And I think I've had a lot of those over the course of the last 14 years. So it, it is a, it's a damn good pleasure to be where I've been uh, with this club. Yeah, Neil, first and foremost, we want to thank you. Like we said, pre-podcast, Mike D and I both live in Virginia. So up until this last MLS Cup final, I haven't been able to attend a game all year. So it is a pleasure getting to listen to you and Jordan's broadcasts from afar. You guys make me feel like I'm at home and at the game. So thank you for that. And you guys do a hell of a job. Jordan is in her, what I believe the first year with the club. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How, she, how, how fun has it been working with her? It's a blast. We have a lot of fun. And Brett Hiltbrand too, uh, as our host and reporter, we go back into our high school football and some other sports with, with spectrum news and spectrum sports through the years. Um, it was wonderful to work with Dwight for as long as I did. And we're still great friends and, I was texting him too the night of the cup. You know, this one's for him just as much as everything. But in the new era and with the health issues that he he battled, it was going to be a tough and big shoes to fill for for the club to find an analyst. And I think Jordan was initially looking that she might have been the sideline reporter. And she'd done a lot of great work just listening to her stuff in the few TV games that she got to do in Colorado, but Marcelo Balboa was there and she was looking for a fresh start. And I remember just as I was telling you that the break or the opportunity uh, to really find myself within my career, which came in 2007 when I got the radio job. And I know she was looking to take the next leap after doing three years of Rapids radio, but she's as pleasant and bubbly as she comes across on television and, uh, you know, we become very good friends as, as well as the entire group. We have a lot of fun and a good product too helps that when you see that on the field. Um, it's always fun, but even in the struggles, but it makes it seem a little bit more uh, relaxed and I think brings out the best of you when the team is playing well and everything is exciting like it was this year. But it's, it, was, it was a great season. I, I, I'm very proud of the shows we put together. Mike T, before you ask your follow-up question, you said that you're, you know, you're from Cleveland, so you got to watch the Cleveland 
what used to be Indians. Now they're the Cleveland baseball team, the Browns. And- oh, they're still the, they're still the Indians for another year. I'm going to roll with it. You know, that's <laughs> – we don't have to get into the debate of that. But, yeah, that's – No, no that wasn't – That's going to be, a, that that's be that- a high water topic for a lot of people. Yeah, that wasn't my point to the question. My point being that you didn't really grow up around soccer and you didn't think that was going to be one of your breadwinners. Right. Over these, over these last 14 years, how has your knowledge expanded of the game? That's a great question. Um, and I'll be the first to tell you, even to this day, like I still love all sports. I'm not going to watch four Premier League games on the weekend and a soccer game every single day. But I keep in mind or keep a good eye on what's going on, the developments, put the work in. So I'm not your classic soccer junkie. I'm a every man for sports. And I've kind of grown into this adaptation of, of the game in front of me and grown to love it at the same time. Uh, but it's good to have pause too, especially after a nine or 10 month season. But, um, you know, it's, it, it's a special feeling when you're able to start at the bottom you know you brought up the 2008 mls cup i was just in the second year of my radio duties and when i say bottom it's in terms of novice and learning the terminology getting familiar with you know tactics for a few years still down the road i think there were a lot of things that i just immersed myself in whether it was watching a lot of those games on fox soccer channel at the time which had the rights to so many things and asking questions you can just like in life you can never be too afraid to take the next step and acquire information I that's I would say the biggest thing that's helped me along the way I'm not never going to be gun shy even to this day of wanting to know and learn and we've worked with some great people I mentioned Dwight but just being around Ziggy Schmidt and uh, absorbing from different coaches and getting to spend time with them away from the actual game and uh, not being afraid to to pick their brain Greg Berhalter you know Caleb Porter and I think each and every year I still learn I still pick up on things. I'm learning things from Jordan as just someone who's played in the modern era. I, I think there's, there's something to be said for that. So it's just that thirst to continue to acquire that. And it's helped with the product. You lay down the basic tracks of your play-by-play and trying to refine your craft. And that's what we keep striving to do because you're never satisfied. And I'm never satisfied with even a show that I know is pretty good. I'll be able to nitpick it, critique it, and go from there. I can definitely say the same for Blake. We've been doing this podcast for <laughs> a little under a year now. And Blake is one of the most meticulous people that I've, I've ever come across when it comes yeah. to a lot yeah. of things. But even with the podcast, I mean, he's so detailed. And um, I've been learning, you know, just you, you talk about evolving. And, and I've been soaking up because I'm somebody that needs time to um, research. And I have to really take that information in but Blake can he'll read for 20 minutes and he's got all the information he needs right there and he's good to go and he'll just start spitting out facts and statistics and this and that and the other and I just sit back and I'm like holy cow like that's where I need to be so yeah it's soaking it up and, and evolving is definitely something that I've learned and that's amazing to hear um, as you've come through your career but also while we're talking about evolving Greg Graven is a friend of the podcast he's one of Blake's childhood friends remembers watching crew matches on, and if I mispronounce this, ONN, Ohio News Network. Mm -hmm. He had to sit two feet from the TV to be able to see who had the ball because they filmed on, they filmed the game through, and I quote Greg here, a quote, soup can. Neil, how has the broadcast improved or developed over the last 14 years? 
Yeah, great question. I think for soccer in general, the development of HD, HDNet was a channel, which I think has a different name now, but they were doing an MLS game of the week uh, to be able to clearly see. And that came at the end of the aughts. I think for all sports, it took it to another level. But I just think, I think the content and the ability to now have some of these young savvy people in analyst roles that have played in the league. Uh, you're seeing a lot younger demographic within the booths. So from the talent perspective, I think you're, you're putting a lot of talented people who have a lot of things to say, have a lot of great perspective with the history that's been earned um, through their playing days, through their coaching days, if that be the case. But technology, yeah, I, I, 2008, the crew had signed with Columbus Sports Network, the now defunct channel, and that went bankrupt in the span of two or three months. And then ONN kind of flipped the bill for three or four years there. And then you've got your elements of Time Warner Cable Sports Channel, which wasn't available to the fans out there if you didn't have Time Warner Cable or now Spectrum as it's known. So I think we're all well aware of the technological advancements in all sports television, but you know, there's, there's little niches and nuances as to how people go about things. The in-game coach interview, the sideline reporter, um, how do you set up your pre and your post game show, calling the game, the elements of that kind of always change, always stay the same at the base level. But now that you've added a lot of bells and whistles is how to incorporate that, the statistical genre. Um, there are so many things that have made it a better product, but yeah, the 8-bit days of ONN are long gone. I think that is the case for, for most sports out there, and people can say thank God. But uh, it, you're, that's the next step of figuring out where, where this goes from here. The regional TV deal, which is going to be incorporated, or MLS is trying to incorporate in 2023, is it going to be more of a streaming product? Well, we're not ready for necessarily all of that because you still have to have games linear and people want to be able to attend and watch when we can watch again in a bar or a restaurant or with friends uh, on their televisions. So there's a big confluence right now and it's changing every day. So Neil, one thing that you brought up is in-game coach interviews. I'm all over Twitter and people are like, why are they doing this? The coaches are trying to coach. What are your thoughts on the in-game coach interviews? Well, I, I, you're only asking one question anyway, right? For a span of 30 seconds and trying to jump in at the hope or not at the expense of an exciting play or a goal happen. And how many times have we seen that folly before one network I know prefers it. One does not. Uh, I, I think you can get the same answer or a conversation just at the end of the half that you might in game. I don't, I think they want to take the viewer closer to the field and, and take them inside. And I get that or the, the player interview right before they run out for the opening kickoff. They try things, and you can always appreciate people trying things. I, I myself wouldn't want to be caught up in trying to ruin my cadence or throw off the fluidity of a call by sending it down and trying to work in a coach, a question with the coach, lose my train of thought, and then try and get back on the track. So um, I'm sure the coaches feel the same way <laughs> in a lot of regard, but I can understand why they do it too, just to give you that, some of that inside access. But there are other ways to go about that too. I can tell you when I'm watching these games and they're calling down to Brian Schmetzer or they're calling down to Cato Porter or whoever it is, I can see it in their face and I put myself in their shoes and I'm like, man, I would not want to be this guy right now. 
<laughs> and some of them are very, very good and calm and, and great in going about their business. They're good with the media. Caleb is one of those guys. Brian Schmetzer, as you mentioned, is one of those guys. Uh, you can tell uh, Bruce Arena, who has his moments for sure and has left some gems out there on the court board through the years, but they're not going to disturb that guy during the course of uh, the game. You could tell in the Eastern Conference final, they got Caleb and Bruce right after the halftime whistle are coming out of the locker room. So it's just trying to be sensitive and maybe approaching it too with who's comfortable with it and who's not. Right. Yeah. All right. So listeners, we're going to take a quick 60 second break for a word from our sponsors, Added Time Outfitters. After the break, we are going to break down the Columbus Crew MLS Cup victory and discuss the sustainability of this club's success entering 2021. We'll be back in 60 seconds. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a Time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands to let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each At a Time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 19 of MLS Gone Wild featuring Columbus Crew play-by-play announcer Neil Sika. Head over to AddedTimeOutfitters.com for your soccer-inspired wristbands and stickers. Use promo code GONEWILD at checkout for 10% off your entire order. The Columbus Crew are MLS Cup champions for the second time after defeating the defending champs, Seattle Sounders, 3-0 in front of 1,500 fans in the last ever playoff game in Mafre Stadium. Neil, in your recent interview with CD 92.9 morning show host Brian Phillips, you predicted an Aiden Morris start and a 2-1 crew win in extra time. It didn't take 90-plus minutes to put this one away, though. This one was over by halftime as the crew became the first team since 2004 to enter the second half with a multi-goal lead. If you would have told me the crew, without Nagby and Santos, were going to beat the Sounders 3-0, I would have told you you were crazy. Neil, how did the Columbus crew win in such convincing fashion? See, that's where you fist bump, Michael, for you to research that interview, Blake, and find <laughs> predictions and thoughts on the match. That's, that's good stuff. I appreciate that, the meticulousness that he speaks of. They were champs because you know, they, they had them cornered right when they set foot on the field on Saturday. I think it was a, a performance of great conviction, and you give Caleb Porter – so much credit for putting together that masterpiece and how they were going to play without the likes of two of their better players, two of their more influential players in Nagby and Santos. And it's funny you bring up the fact that I mentioned 2-1 in extra time. And then I was moseying along after some brunch on Saturday and got back to my place and thought, what if they won? 
I could see them winning four nothing. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> and they were close. I swear to God, I said that <laughs> to myself. So no one was there to catch it on the record. But as the game evolved, you're thinking, my goodness, the two nothing lead. We know what Seattle did against Minnesota, but they never let them back in. I think there was a flurry in the first 15 minutes, but everything kind of settled down after that. And everyone played a part. I think individually not enough is talked about, about how their commitment to defending after the Red Bulls game went from an eight to an 11, just on the scale of they didn't allow a goal the last 300 minutes of the playoffs. Look at what they did at the start of the season with how well they played at home, the shutout streak, the ability to not allow a goal for over 600 minutes going back to the Philadelphia game the year before. So I think there's, there's some real pride taking not only what they did offensively and the iconic performance of Lucas Ryan and some of the individuals that have gotten a lot of love based off of their, their game on Saturday, the Aiden Morrises, the Etiennes, even Jossie should, Jossie should have probably had a goal on one, two, on one of those two attempts with the Fry reaction save and the one that just went wide at the end. But the team defending stellar stuff. And I think that just shows how complete they became uh, toward the end of the year. And you give a guy like Caleb Porter time, even with an extra day of rest, Seattle playing Monday. This guy is a tournament coach. He's proved that at any level. And I think there's something to be said, too, for him and the likes of Brian Schmetzer and Bruce Serena, who we've all mentioned so far. Soccer is soccer, and it's bare bones. But if you can get the principles, if you can get your guys to buy in, like it's not lip service when he talks about this team being a family, this team being convinced that they can go out and beat anybody and beat them convincingly, even without their best players. I think you have to look at the job that they did in the game plan that they did and dealing with the circumstances they did with the COVID cases and all the distractions or not letting them become a distractions. It, it was really a thing of beauty. I mean, it's the perfect night with the way they played, the story behind it, the game itself. What more could you want if you're a fan of the crew? Absolutely. And we had a question planned about Caleb Porter. We nixed it because it didn't quite flow but I'm going to insert it here. You were just praising Caleb Porter and how he's gotten this team to buy into his system, which is pragmatic, disciplined, and very possession-oriented. Within two years, this team didn't make the playoffs last year, and now they just won an MLS Cup in convincing fashion. Jim Curtin won the MLS Coach of the Year. You know, congrats mm -hmm. to Philly for winning the 2020 Supporter Shield. A lot of conversation was about him. A lot of conversation was around Oscar Pereja and what he did in Orlando in his first season. But where would you rate Caleb Porter amongst current MLS coaches? Yeah, that's a great question. And Poppy, Oscar Pereja, Jim Curtin, very worthy of the nomination. But you know, at the end of the day, I don't think anyone's going to remember the coach. Will you remember the coach of the year from this year in two or three years? Maybe if you're a fan of the club. I think you look at what's accomplished. If there's one game on the line and you need to get something out of it and you say, this is my chessboard, set it up, these are the obstacles, it's hard to go against Caleb Porter in a situation like that. I think he's one of the top two or three tacticians, but also with that adding to, you know, the struggles of 2019 were there because of some injuries and trying to, we rework the philosophies of Greg Berhalter. But in that, I think it was not only getting guys to buy in, but getting guys to buy into the freedom 
of making decisions on the field and being able to adapt to different styles. And I think once they got into that comfort level, give you a good example, Artur, who maybe wasn't sure of his role the opening year with, with Caleb Porter. And now pairing him with Nagby, clearly that helps, but you saw him so much more advanced. You saw the offense added to his game, his ability to score in the regular season and in the playoffs. I think there's something to be said individually. Pedro Santos is another guy that's had two really solid regular seasons now, and it's nothing against what came before. Greg Berhalter did a hell of a job. He had a competitive product on the field. He had the team one game away from the Eastern Conference Championship. But I think drilling home something in a short amount of time with the resources, I think he can do that with anybody, Caleb Porter now, and you've seen it at different levels. I mentioned that with his Akron success. I think he's learned from one of the best in Jerry Yeagley. Bruce Arena, he's mentioned as a mentor. I think once you absorb a lot of that information, Ziggy Schmidt being another, you can craft it into your own right. And the guy is so devoted. I mean, he is, he is a savant and a junkie when it comes to coaching and tactics and making sure his team wins. He hates to lose. All coaches do, but he takes it to another level. And crew fans should be lucky to have him. This guy, I know it was frustrating in 2019, but to answer the bell and get this group uh, where it needed to be, maybe ahead of schedule, is, is quite an impressive feat. You mentioned Bruce Arena being a mentor for Caleb Porter, and I know there's a GIF flying around and a video flying around from his days when he was in Portland and Bruce was in L.A. And you, can't, you couldn't tell that Bruce was a mentor in that yeah. video. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb will joke about that. I think it was a blown out of proportion in a lot of ways. He was excited in the moment. Caleb can do that in games and maybe rub a couple of coaches or personnel the wrong way. But uh, it was water under the bridge after the game. They talked it out. He texted. And so they're all good. And, uh, but it's, it's a great gift. So it will live on forever. <laughs> yes. Yes, it will. Coming into the MLS Cup final, the Sounders had a chance to win their third MLS Cup title in five years. Mm-hmm. And many were shouting about a dynasty. As the crew spoiled that conversation, the crew now have an opportunity to defend their title next season. Are there any weak spots the crew need to improve upon? And is this success from the season sustainable heading into 2021? I think it's absolutely sustainable, but I do think there are some next steps that you want to see this club take. I mentioned maybe even beginning here ahead of schedule. This isn't a knock on them. They took advantage of who they had in the playoffs with the top two seeds losing. And also people need to remember they were amazing at home, amazing at home. And MLS 101 since the very beginning is to win your home games. And the fact that they were, what, 14-1? and one? And Keep in mind, I, I think it would be nice to pick up a few more road results going into 2021. They know that. 05 and 5 uh, away from Mafre Stadium. They were close a few times. They earned some valuable points. But in a, in a normal 34-game season, you're going to maybe have to rely on a few – wins away from your home venue. So I think they're well aware of that, improving their road form a bit. And now that you're going to go into some extra competitions, they've done a really good job of balancing the lineup, but I'm speaking of the CONCACAF Champions League. You know, how do you bolster the roster, knowing what we've seen again from last night and uh, what's going on right now in Orlando with MLS clubs that might have been behind the eight ball anyway, but there's still a big gap with how the Mexican clubs We'll play the MLS clubs and make them look like they've got a long ways to go. And I know time of season, February being the MLS preseason, makes it tough to really get up to speed. But even now, some of these teams 
um, like a New York City who not all that long ago were in the playoffs and they were they were rocked by Tigre. So the ownership, the front office is probably looking at that, how to bolster the roster. You've had some contracts that like every team at the end of the year, you've, you've declined or you moved on from. So I think it's continuing to build that depth, bring in the competition. It's any close coach will tell you, Caleb Porter will tell you about it in 2016. Greg Berhalter said the same thing when they both failed to make the playoffs after playing each other in MLS cup, you have to keep the competition high, bring in guys who are going to challenge for spots. And that's, that's the beauty now I think of where the crew are at with the ownership that they have, they're willing to spend to get some of those pieces. Clearly it won't be extravagant to the highest level, but you've got some smart people in that front office that can really work a roster. And that's, that's the exciting part to see now with how they build upon uh, this title. Neil, you talk about bol- you talk about bolstering the roster. Is there a specific position on the crew that they need to add some depth to? Well, I think, for one, you look at the midfield, right? And Luis Diaz played his best three games of the year in the last three games when it mattered most, the consistency, the Luis Diaz that I think crew fans got flashes of at the end of 2019. And now maybe he takes it to another level of, of scoring some more goals. Um, but he used his speed to an advantage and as a weapon against opposing fullbacks. But it wasn't a given. He was going to be a starter. They wanted him to be the starter. But he had an up-and-down year, and he had a struggle in the preseason. You know, you, you can come and go very quickly in this league. As we saw, Eunice Mokhtar looked excellent in the MLS's back tournament and got that groin injury, was never really the same, was never able to really work his way back into the lineup with the consistency that I think they were hoping from him when they signed him. So they declined his option. You don't have Emmanuel Boateng, Derek Etienne, a nice little revelation for after being left off by the Red Bulls and FC Cincinnati to have somewhat of a redemption year. But I could tell you that probably at right midfield, you didn't have a clear-cut starter for much of the year. So wingers – People that can fill out those positions, case in point, are going to be the ones challenging those incumbents coming back for starting spots. Goalkeeper Aloy Rooms had a couple of bouts with injuries. Andrew Tarbell deserves to be a starter with the way he played in the playoffs. And I think with the option maybe a little bit high for the crew's liking, you're bringing back a guy who was a starter for many years in Evan Bush to be the backup now. Backup forward, Christian Namath. Had the nice goal against Philadelphia, the game winner, but his option may be a little bit too high. So there's where you can meet the budget. You can look with free agency about to come open. And I think uh, speaking of a little bit of a holiday treat, there might be a, there might be a cool little signing coming up in the, in the offing. But all of those positions, when it can help with scoring, the midfields, uh, any type of depth. Aiden Morris has, has certainly shown he's worth – the level of being right there in the mix with Artur and Nagby to help out. Sebastian Berhalter did have some good games earlier in the year. These are young guys too. keep in mind, just one year of college. So there's not a position on the roster really where I don't think they'll look to at least have some security or guys who can potentially make them better and charge uh, challenge for starting spots. So Neil, you were talking a little bit about Aiden Morris and how he filled into that very difficult Darlington Nagby role. Darlington Nagby plays the role perfectly. He's Caleb Porter's guy in that defensive midfield. He makes this team tick. He sets the pace. He sets the tempo. He dictates where the game is played. But Aiden Morris was tasked with tracking one of the league's best tens and playmakers, Nico Ladero, through the midfield, and he did just that. 
In Morris's third start of the season, Aiden recorded 35 passes, completing 77% of them. He had eight ball recoveries and a game-high nine attempted tackles. And guys, some would say that Nico Ladero is still in Aiden Morris's back pocket. We're talking about going forward into 2021, and we have guys like Alashe, Artur, Darlington Nagby. I don't know why I named Alashe first. He was just the first that came to my mind. But, and Sebastian Burhalter, of course. Well, you don't have to worry about Fatai because they declined his option. Thank you for that. Yeah. What Does Aiden see a bigger role going into 2021? Yeah, that's the tough question, right? You have a breakout game at 19. You're the youngest MLS Cup starter in history. And you turn out like that, win a championship for your hometown club. And a great article written about his days in the academy, a kid coming from Florida who lived with a host family in New Albany and then flourished and then was the big man on campus at Indiana for a year. Caleb Porter was especially tough on him in the preseason. I think he was behind on the depth chart. Sebastian Berhalter just because of maybe Sebastian's pedigree of being around a professional player for all of his life and it took a little bit for Aiden to adapt but once he did and it was funny because I had talked to a couple of friends who had caught up with Danny O'Rourke a crew champion in his own right in 2008 as a center back and now an assistant coach at Indiana and he said if there's anyone who could basically come in step in on this big stage for a guy of such importance, it's Aiden. And I think we saw him in the New York City game as a great little precursor indication that he has no fear. That's one of the best midfields in, in the Eastern Conference when they're fully healthy. And he's a throwback in a lot of ways. Going into tackles, he's hard, he's physical, he can win some duels. One of the worst performances of the year was that loss at Cincinnati. And the one of the few guys that was pissed about it coming off on the bench was Aiden Morris. So I, I think he'll just shrug his shoulders, go out and do his job. Now the question is, sure, he provides valuable depth. Do you want to get him some more minutes? You're developing crew two down the road. I don't know if that's going to be in place for next year. I wouldn't count on it. But you also maybe want to send him out on a USL spell when you're going to need him because he's now such a valuable piece. But he's showing he's earning every minute that he's gotten out there. And it's funny to think about all the homegrowns that have come through the crew system for so long. It was Will Trapp, who was the club's Simba, and a different type of midfielder altogether and traded off to Miami, as we know, before the start of the season. And here's a guy making just his third overall start. Life is funny sometimes like that, but uh, they have found something in a different type of player that has now allowed this youth movement that we see through the academies and the crew can talk willingly about one of their own who has made an impact and helped them win a championship. Yeah. We had the pleasure of having Aiden Morris on the podcast a couple months ago uh, before the playoffs started. And, you know, we've been obviously we're asking you about Drake. Was that the, did I see that interview? Was that? The, yeah, yeah. 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 You saw that one. Then we had some <laughs> fun, fun opening questions. We got some insight from some family and some friends. So we had to ask some, some questions to him. But yeah, I mean, he's so hungry. And like you said, we do get a different defensive midfielder, his counter-pressing abilities and his hunger and his ability to go out there and just do his job. And he was able to do one of the toughest jobs in the MLS on the biggest stage and lift a trophy in his rookie season. That's absolutely remarkable. But we have another guy, Lucas Elrion, our most expensive club transfer in club history. I believe $8 million for this guy. Mm -hmm. He – had two goals and an assist in the MLS Cup final. 
He's the third player to ever score a brace in the MLS Cup final, joining Landon Donovan and Aleko Escadarian. Yeah, he also right joined. Yeah, he also joined Guillermo Barrascoloto as the only player to be involved in all three goals in the MLS Cup final. How good is this guy, and is he the best Columbus Crew signing ever? Oh man! Well, after one year, yes. <laughs> And not only that, with the three MLS Cup uh, goal involvement, he was involved on the last seven playoff goals. So that was a Scalotto-type thing. And he'll always be the original OG, but it was a different league back then. Guillermo was at the tail end of his career. This guy's in his prime. And I love Federico Higuain just on that level for what he accomplished. And you would have loved to see him get a ring, too, in 2015 with how much of uh, an influence he had on the team. But Lucas has a little bit... I think more tenacity is a little bit more direct and we can see his goal scoring ability just like in any port of major league soccer's history the big players rise to the occasion it's it's a boring comment but it is so true just because of the way that the roster dichotomy is so often and for him to come out it's been a tough year for him being away from the family just like a lot of these guys Jonathan Mensa to name one who had an outstanding season in his own right but Lucas is the embodiment, I think, of what this club will be looked at going forward, spending on a big name, being able to deliver the goods. I mean, you could probably start to erect the statue outside the new stadium right now based on how MLS Cup goes. And it's a picturesque final goal, right? I think you had the substance and the poetic uh, ambiance of what he provided in that last goal, I think. For him to stay fully healthy, it, it did remind me so much of the, that Scalotto run that they had in 08. But this is completely different. It's against a team that you've thrown out the dynasty word. It's a different league. It's so much more competitive. Uh, they have found themselves a true gem. They really have. And now you get to watch him play for years to come. It's, uh, you can think of Tim Bezbachenko bringing in Javinko in his prime and what he did for Toronto FC. And I think that facelift now applies to Columbus. Yeah, I think I saw something where Bezbachenko didn't make the playoffs with Toronto and then brought in Sebastian Giovinco and then won an MLS Cup and then did the same exact thing with the crew. So it's quite yeah. amazing what they have in, in their new management, you know, signing the, this player that they've signed. And there's a lot of big things to come for the crew. I can't wait to see what happens. Mike D, Neil, I believe that's all of our planned questions. Mike, did you have any other follow or any thoughts, any questions to end the pod? The last thing, Neil, that I want to ask, it's really sad to say that the day has come that we're moving, the crew is moving to a new stadium. Mapfree will be no longer. There's been a lot of great memories in that stadium, but 2021, they move on to bigger and better things, the new state-of-the-art stadium and facility. In your 14 years calling games for the crew, I know it's probably difficult to just pick one, but if you had to, what would be your favorite moment while calling a home game? Still resonates even, even now. Yeah, you're right. There are so many good ones. It's hard to pick just one, but the one that I always go back to that stands out was the 2008 Eastern Conference Final. And this 2020 season will have its own special place down the road, but for so many people to be in that organization for so long and a big game against the first star of the club and Brian McBride and the atmosphere. I've been fortunate enough to call and be a part of a lot of big games now and that feeling you get for a big playoff game 
And that was the first time I had really experienced it doing radio and, and sharing the duties with Dwight Burgess and then handing it off to him to call the final few moments uh, for them to, to clinch and go to the cup for the first time and the relief for Ziggy and the fans. Uh, and there was just something really cool and eerie about that night that I will never, ever forget. It's still one of my favorite crew games of all time. Uh, and that includes the cups and the cups are, are a wonderful memory, but that first moment where they finally got there they finally accomplished it after all the heartbreak in the in the early years and to be a part of that and just be on this surreal run um is is a part of Mafre that uh, are going to old crew stadium as the old lady is known uh, that i'll never forget and that's that sits up at the top for me you can only imagine the feeling yeah it, it was quite something and then to be down there afterwards there's a part where ziggy uh, is caught on the boom mic and you know we all miss him if you were around him or got to know him at all and how warm he was and welcoming he was especially for me who was still learning the game just in, in year two calling a full season of radio and um, I'll have some special memories of him just sitting in the locker room and, and catching his team speech uh, ironically the timing had worked out where I was in the room off to the side we were doing our pregame interview and got to hear what he said and That'll always stick with me, but he was walking off and you could hear on the field effects, Mike, we're going. Uh, and just the exalted relief of being able to get the job done after the longest tenure without a playoff appearance in club history, missing out in 05, 06, and 07. So yeah, it's, that's just one of the many memories that um, I'm grateful for and, and blessed to have to when you're with a team for so long and having the success throughout all the eras of ownership and coaches, they've always put a competitive product on the field. And I'm grateful for that. You're grateful for that as an announcer, because it makes your job easier uh, when the product is good. You're pulling out heartstrings. You're going to make Blake cry, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> I, I, cr I cried enough on Saturday. Okay. That's it. So 2020 has been an unprecedented season. We just talked about your favorite call in your 14 years. What was your favorite call of this year? Good question. I, I told you at the beginning, I'm very proud of all of the shows we did. Um, but if I had to pick a single moment, I think for the final full season of Mafre, the opening day and the Zellerion goal on opening day, the El Mago, it's massive. Uh, simple enough. He's changing up the direction. He's got a few different nicknames, but, uh, trying to go PC with, with El Mago and um, the beauty of, you know, making his imprint in game one, like he did in a pretty competitive game. And we've got a new team in, in, in the broadcast booth and just the overall excitement you get from the first game of the season. I think that would, that would be my favorite call. But as far as our, our shows and productions, I think there were many memorable moments, memorable goals. But if I had to, if I had to take one, I'll take the one to start and, and lead from there. And everybody's been saying it in every interview, all over TV, everything. That, in February, felt like two years ago, yeah. at least. Yeah. It felt so long ago. But, Neil, thank you for joining MLS Gone Wild, man. This is our final episode of Season 2. We're going to take a little bit of a break, at least until the beginning of 2021. So we're going to take a couple weeks off. So, Neil, thank you for closing out Season 2 of MLS Gone Wild, man. It has been a pleasure to have you. Well, with a name like that, guys, you know you got to throw your party after your season finale. So we'll have to do that uh, when we can all get together. But it's great to be with you. Merry Christmas to everybody. And thanks for having me on and looking forward to 2021.
Thanks so much, Neil. Merry Christmas. Blake, you want to sign us off? Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to Season 2, Episode 19 of MLS Gone Wild featuring Columbus Crew play-by-play announcer Neil Sika. You guys stay home, stay safe, wear a mask, and please have a happy and safe holidays. We'll catch you guys in 2021. Peace. Thank you.